Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today. Welcome to filmandtvreview.com. Catch the latest film, TV and streamed show reviews every week. The views and opinions expressed by the authors and those providing comments are theirs alone. They do not reflect the views, opinions or position of film and tvreview.com or their respective parent companies or affiliates. Film and tvreview.com makes no representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information in this program and is for entertainment purposes only. Episodes may contain adult humor and language. For full terms and conditions see filmandtvreview.com. Welcome to part two of this film and TV 2023 review special. Um, just remind me that there was another super, well, superhero series, which uh, was an offshoot from a very smart one. Is of course the Boys, which we've mentioned before on this show. It's a, a great, um, oh, such a an an like a an anecdote to to all the superhero shenanigans that have been going on as of late. Um, the Boys, I think, is on Prime. But it, this year did come a spin-off series, which was uh, Gen V, uh, again set in a, the high school, or rather kind of like the beginning um, student phase of those who do eventually graduate to working superheroes for a company in, in, in that universe. Um, Gen B, again, I think did an okay job, I think, on this one. Um, Fonzo? Or... I mean, I would say better than okay. I would say it was, I mean, I have, I must admit, I have, I want to continue watching it. I have only watched one or two episodes, but um, I think James has watched the whole season. Hmm. Yeah, I, I was quite skeptical. I was just like, it's another spin off. I like the boys. I don't know if we need this. Um, but I, w- I was quite impressed with it as a series. I thought I completely, you know, I really loved the new characters that we got. I think compared to maybe the other problem with the MCU, you know, it's been going since 2008 and the world was a very different place then. Everything seemed a lot simpler. I'm sure it wasn't, but it did seem like you could have these films where the threats weren't really that threatening and we could have like lots of action and stuff and that that was fine i think the boys and gen v do a really good job of bringing in sort of real world 
issues to this fantastical comic book world. And part of that maybe is due to the rating. I mean, sometimes it's just an excuse to put a load of blood on screen. I'm not, I don't mind a bit of blood and guts, but it does sort of, it does lend itself to being able to talk about more grown up and sort of real world issues. I think my only kind of reservation was in the ending that I don't think the final episode was a great payoff to the series and it seemed like it was setting it up very much to kind of cross over with the boys. And I think that might be a problem that I thought for most of the series, if this can just be a standalone thing that works in, you know, in parallel and you can watch it if you want, and you've got Ashley in there as sort of the only real crossover character and the the film director guy, but I can't even remember his name. I thought this might work. And th- there's a cameo in the last episode where I was like, oh, this is cool just to have this person turn up just for this episode. But it now feels like that's going to feed in very much in series four of the boys. And I don't know if we might see some of the thing, the problems with the sort of Disney plus shows of the MCU and it collapses under its own weight that people feel it's too much to, to keep up with. Cause the one thing I keep hearing whenever I speak to anyone who isn't a, uh, big MCU fan now is they constantly just say to me it's too much like homework and even something like the Marvels which I don't feel you do need to have seen all the the previous uh, TV series I think it does stand on its own the perception is from a lot of people that I speak to I don't want to watch that because I haven't seen the other stuff and sometimes it might be they say hey I want to watch that other stuff and then I'll watch this but in reality they don't get around to it so that interconnectivity is great but I think when it's alienating the, the casual audience, that then becomes a problem in terms of of viewing figures. But I think we've got a few months to the boys, boys four. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll see how how that pans out. It, it, they might manage to make it work. It might just be that a couple of characters pop up and and they do continue as separate separate shows. But we will see. I, I kind of get a feeling uh, definitely the boys. There's a definite beginning, middle, and end because the book series came out you know twenty years ago. I think. Uh, that's a very good point, actually. So the, there is a source material already, and, and Gen V, to my knowledge, is not a a comic book series. That is a spin-off which has been made from the TV series, so it's completely separate. I'm, I'm quite I feel quite in safe hands with with the boys because I think it it there's a huge narrative drive, and it, you know you have a sense of foreboding of where it it will go. Um, and, and greatly anticipated. Um, with the Gen B, I wouldn't mind if it just ended there. I mean, it's quite, it almost seems like a little side story and then kind of like, but uh, I don't, whether it's got enough to sustain another series or not, I don't know. But it, it, it did better than I thought. I was hope I was like, I had some, um, some doubts going in, but I thought it, it, the writers were kind of kept it kind of edgy enough. Cons. And they were very short episodes as well, which I, I, kind of appreciated that they were like barely 40 minutes and there's always a tendency on streaming to just not edit and just keep things as long as possible because they want to keep that audience so i really appreciated the the sort of pacey nature of the the eight episodes as well but maybe that won't be the case in the next series if they think people are watching because it did seem like a bit of a gamble but i think it did pay off yeah right um right i, I think we'd be remiss uh as we Hinted at before, uh, Mr. Tom Cruise made another entry into the Mission Impossible series. Um, hmm. Again, uh, this was 
famously uh, named uh, go, uh, Part 1, I think. So we're hoping for a Part 2, but uh, what did you think? Yeah. Of, it's just Tom Cruise against AI, basically. Yeah, let's, let's start with the title, because I think it's going to be remembered as the first movie in history to be called Part 1 without a Part 2. Yes, without a Part 2, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> yes. Um, so all Dead Reckoning. Bits, yeah, Dead Reckoning. I, yes, wow, dead's in the title. But um, so somewhere in between, what did you think of uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1? Uh, low light, highlight, somewhere in the middle, what do you think? Hi highlight mostly, hmm. highlight mostly. I mean, any movie with Hayley Eidwell, Rebecca Ferguson and Vanessa Kirby together is not a bad movie. I cannot be <laughs> in my book. I think on this film, right, it, it's one of those things that if the plot's a bit meh, but the action's really good, and that doesn't happen often these days. So often the things that are meh, I'm kind of like, I've sort of seen this before and it doesn't. I think, really, if you look at the plot, and I, I wouldn't usually, we're usually careful to not spoil plot, but I'm going to tell, I'm going to say now, and I don't want you to cut this out, Jason, I'm going to tell the the whole plot, <laughs> of Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, right? And the plot is, we need to get a key. That's it. That's all you need. There's a load of stuff about the entity, AI, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. The, the whole plot is, we need to get a key. And that's all you needed. They should, they should have cut about an hour out of this movie and left it as 90 minutes of just action. It's the, I think action sequences, this and John Wick, Chapter 4, are the best action sequences you will see in a film this year. Both are too long. But in the case of uh, Chapter 4, John Wick, they were trying to set up spin-offs, so we kind of get it, but it was still too long. But I think the action sequences are exceptional. When we were talking, about, and I don't even think the scene on the motorbike, which apparently Tom Cruise did for real and was, you know, like a YouTube sort of viral hit, I don't think that's even in the, my top three favourite action sequences in this. I think the, the car chase through um, the streets in the two cars is really good and really funny. And I think um, the train uh, stunt at the end is, is spectacular oh, yeah. and, and really kind of like makes you feel like you're in the midst of the action. It's very interesting to watch this a month after Fast X as well. And I realised that I'm kind of just watching and observing the action in Fast X, even though I'm more, I'm definitely more um, emotionally involved. I can't believe I'm saying it, but to, to Dom Toretto and his family, I definitely care about those characters more than I care about Ethan Hunt. But when I'm watching those those car chases and things directed by Chris McQuarrie, I feel like I'm in the car. I feel like Tom Cruise is about to crash yeah. a car I'm in. Yeah. And because, it, it because... really has me like digging my almost digging my nails into the seat. And then you go, these are really well, I don't know if they, they just storyboard them well, they shoot them well, and you get the geography of what's happening. But it and and certainly the fact that I think certain certainly the um, bit at the end is with the train is green screen and CG. They didn't do that for real because that would be ridiculous, <laughs> right? But it doesn't feel like it's CG. A lot of the car chases in Fast X do feel CG. And I hate saying this because I always used to hear people bang on about CG and think, oh, what's the problem? But there is something about watching something and feeling that it's been done for real, I, I watched like a little bit of Die Hard the, uh, on Christmas Day, or, or I watched the whole of Die Hard, obviously, on Christmas Day. And the bit where Al drives his car backwards and they just really crash a car. It's not even 
it's not even like that the car takes much of a drop it's like about 10 feet but that is infinitely more exciting than watching anything in fast x so i do all the the entity stuff in mission impossible i didn't feel that that needed to be that and it's definitely not as good as fallout which i think fallout is a really good it's a really good script it's got a really good villain in henry cavill and it's got a really it's got those those action sequences so this has got the action sequences not really any of the other stuff the other connection with this and fast x from this year is they're both in the top 10 highest grossing films of the year but the budgets were so high that apparently they made losses and they were i think both were shot at the height of covid so there was a lot of heightened production values through that but there is a curious point of these kind of films aren't made for the love they are made to make money and if you're if you're actually making a loss i mean mission impossible Final Reckoning, as I assume it will be called, I think is already shot. So they probably will see that. What's going to happen with Fast 11 or whatever they want to call it? Last and Furious, right? They're going to have to kind of come up with a way of finishing that story and keeping the budget down to get the money back or maybe sort of... And actually with Fast X, I know I'm talking about two films at the same time here now, so I apologise, but I did feel we glossed over Fast X. Um, I did feel with... it was a, It's a huge cast. It's almost too big, the cast of Fast X. And I did find myself going, didn't I just come back to these because the Paul Walker ones were okay? Like, he was the heart of the film. And so I think with Eight, we all went back to see that because that was the first one after. But now after Nine and this one, I don't know if I'm really care to see eleven, but who knows? I think they go through the same kind, through the exactly the same stairs in both characters in, in, in Italy, in Rome, yeah. In, in Rome, yeah. And it, I think the main difference is that with uh, Mission Impossible, you have the character of Halle Atwell that doesn't know very well how to do the spy thing. He doesn't. She doesn't know how very well how to drive. And that kind of danger that puts she puts Tom Cruise in makes it feel very much real. With this little car trying to get to the stairs, compared with the big ball that is uh, um, like following and trying to crash uh, the characters in Fast X, it's, it's very different because in Fast X you're feeling yeah like it's. Uh, a video game almost like it's uh, one yeah. of these car chases that everything feels heightened while Mission Impossible tries to go the opposite route they try to make it like clumsy so it the clumsiness of Heli Atwell trying to drive that car and, and Tom Cruise being frightened by what she cannot do it's, it's what makes it uh, real for me it's what it, it's I mean maybe the sound design also, but I, I, I appreciate how the Haley Adwell character grounds the movie. Uh, what you were saying it's also true. The AI part makes it more fantastical. Well, Mission Impossible it's in itself kind of heightened, but it's not so let's say one of these I mean, the, the Fast X franchise just has done so many stunts that are out there, out there in space, basically, literally out there in many ways. And I, and, but, I, but I think both will return 
it it will be fine. Maybe this 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 didn't work so much, but they they these movies recoup eventually. Thing about long long running franchises, they've actually made more profit than us overall. So I I think they could they're worth a I think studios probably will say it's worth a gamble. They'll probably see this as a dip, but they know maybe they'll not so much course correct, but rather they they know maybe keep budgets lower down in future. They they make their money. It's just the but I think because budgets were just getting out of control. So maybe a lesson to be learned for, there. For the for the record, not all of us enjoyed that movie. Yeah? Oh, no, actually, <laughs> no, Richard, I'm actually, okay. I, I agree. I, I found it, um, it was okay. It was, um, the actual, that's coming from a fan, a fan of the franchise. Well, there has been some very good entries in this, and I'm mistakenly, um, Fallout and so forth, as I mentioned before, but I did feel this is like we, and I, I think because of the, they were expecting a bit bigger numbers, but I think there is a bit of fatigue, as in, we, we've been here before, I know it's done well. We know the ropes, and and I I know with the um, addition of um, Atwell, it, it's to bring in that sense of unfamiliarity and and danger. But it it still feels so safe. Strangely enough, even yeah. though there's yeah. world stunts, you kind of know he will put it off. You know that it, it's, it's almost by the numbers, and that's probably why it's not resonating. It's almost a victim of its own success that it won't resonate with audiences. It's not really because of that. But it's oh, actually Ellie Atwell. I got nothing against her, but the introduction of his character for me was completely stupid. And uh, <laughs> because, because, yeah, because he, I mean, I, I don't want to be the romantic guy here, but the, the the whole point of the last two movies was actually to introduce an alter ego, a female alter ego to be to Tom Cruise character, and the ending of a previous movie was obviously aiming at uh, a relationship with Rebecca Ferguson character, and apparently, apparently, Ethan Hunt needs another girlfriend. So I know it sounds very uh, childish of me, but I think it's a very stupid choice uh, to actually to replace Rebecca Ferguson's character because that's how it felt to me to replace her. She was, and not because she was the love story, but because she was, for me, the breakout character of episode five and six. She was amazing in every single scene. So her death was so stupid. Sorry, spoiler alert. I wasn't seen it, but I think it was six months ago. And, uh, yeah, that was so dumb. And by the way, also the second thing that really, really pissed me off is the fact that uh, who, who said that? Is it Alfred Hitchcock who said actually that to have a great movie you need a great villain? And I think that in all the movie Mission Impossible movies, let's forget about Mission Impossible too, obviously. All mm -hmm. Mission Impossible movies so far, this is the weakest villains that we ever had. This, True. this AI stuff was honestly something like actually you have seen a thousand times on screen. And even also the character played by this great actor, unfortunately, but this character played the Latino uh, guy from Ozark. I already, already forgot his name, unfortunately, but he played Same in Ozark. He was, he was an amazing actor in Ozark. He has such a potential, but his character in this movie was terrible. The fact that actually they had to find something in the back, in the 
the backstory of Ethan Hunt, like something that we never seen before, by the way. Some woman that actually killed, etc. I don't know. Was it necessary? I mean, couldn't you just use a character that we had seen in the last six movies? Did you need to actually to go even? I, I, I don't get it. And honestly, this personal vendetta that he had against this guy, since we didn't know the woman in the first place that he killed, why would we care? I mean, that was so strange. I think James was right. I think it was just an action movie because the action scenes are amazing. It's true. If it was just an action movie about finding a key to open some kind of door or AI robot, whatever, under the sea, uh, that would have been better. Uh, yeah. And on a funny note, I will end saying that actually I'm scared actually that uh, the last Mission Impossible, the final one, will be some kind of crossover between Mission Impossible and the Abyss. So. <laughs> well, I think you're right, because part one is going to be uh, let's get the key, and I think part two is going to be how, how the key works. I do agree with you, Richard, actually, and it, it's sort of one of the, the few things about Top Gun Maverick that that sort of, I don't know, maybe that one, it, it's fine, but that the whole sort of expendable nature of the romantic, um, sort of the female romantic lead is something that's really annoyed me in films over the years where you have like the action hero and it's it's they've got a romantic subplot and it's all about them getting together and then another film comes and they just bring in a new one like there's a bit of that in Batman Returns where it's like they do mention Vicky Vale in passing but it's like if you just get rid of everybody that you're kind of invested in it it does feel like a little bit sort of sexist yeah. as well that I, I wonder if it had to do with COVID because this movie was shot uh, also during COVID. And maybe Rebecca Ferguson wasn't available that much, something like that, because her scenes are mostly uh, away from Tom in another location. Yeah, and, and she, is, she also is part of this TV show on Apple. So maybe I'm, maybe Silo. maybe it's because of a contract, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very weird. It's very weird because, as you said, I completely agree. Rebecca Ferguson was greatly introduced she was a great character everybody fell in love with her that was the movie that actually uh, made her star the first time that we see her in mission impossible and and to to not to use her as she deserved after all that it's completely weird yeah. i think as well you've got like these these front like they always talk about this as almost like the new bond but this has been going for 30 years now yeah. i mean bond when it started didn't even go for 10 years with Sean Connery in the same role. But you kind of think with this now, it's too late. If they suddenly recast Ethan Hunt, it it kind of wouldn't work because it's gone on for too long as a Tom Cruise vehicle now, and it would be kind of tainted by that. But he's not getting, not, like, like all of us, he isn't getting any younger. And you kind of think, when is this going to, to end? So I think maybe it's best days are behind it. I think maybe like Fallout was the peak. And actually, it's been an odd franchise because... Mission Impossible 2, maybe aside, it's felt like the last few, they've been be been getting better and better. And I was like, no franchises get better on the... How many franchises can you say the best one is the sixth one? You know, so it's sort of got like that. And now it seems to have petered off and we'll see if they do any more after this. This might be the end of it, but we, we shall see. Yes. Because I, I know that we said like they, these sort of franchises, maybe they recoup in the end. But there might come a point where people just don't want to see them anymore. Like with, with Bond, 
there was a point with Roger Moore where they just kind of went, you can't just do this forever because it's getting ridiculous now. So it yeah. might it might just come to a natural end in the in yes. the end, or people just get bored of it. Yeah, well, we'll see. Yes, yes, I think it did actually have a because it's based on a TV series, but uh, again with quite a few leads, and most likely in the in the start of the first one where it was more of a group um, ensemble, and it kind of like does help that he has a group, but as in actually a point man or a lead, yes, it uh, if it lives and dies with Tom Cruise, then that, you can see there's a kind of shelf life to this franchise. Well, yeah. Rebecca Ferguson, though, I suspect she will be back into the final episode. I kind of so oh, you yeah. can wipe away those tears. I I have a yes. suspicion she's going to make a surprise ending, and I think it's inbuilt in the plot. I think it was mentioned, so I wouldn't. Uh, I and again, I would agree the best thing in that franchise. But we'll all be forgiven <laughs> then, Richard, if if that, it comes back and and Vanessa Kirby whips her face mask off and she's Rebecca Ferguson. <laughs> it's a wish, oh, it's wishful wishful thinking. Is that is that the word? But it I, I agree with Jason. I, there's possibility that it was all part of the plot or whatever. But I don't know. We'll mm. see. We'll see. Right. Well, um, from a very ex- talking about big plot, big budgets rather, not big plots. Our next, uh, more of a late entry in the year was a big, huge, and very well hyped TV series. On well, no, it was a film actually on Netflix, which uh, just came out very recently, and that was Rebel Moon. This was uh, Zack Snyder's. Magnus Opus, rather. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, well. That's... Originally, it did start off as a failed uh, plot that he wanted to push the Star Wars or Lucasfilm, and they said no. Uh, and so he did his own IP and franchise. Uh, Netflix saw, had faith in, so gave him a huge budget. It's a huge, it, it, it's touted as the new Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, Richard, you saw this. I saw yeah. this. Uh, yeah. What did you think? Is this the new Star Wars highlight? No. Or low light? No. Of twenty twenty. That's the answer. The answer is no. No. <laughs> next, next film, please. <laughs> no, no, I mean that's obviously. No. Is it better I mean, than Moonfall? <laughs> yeah, that's better than Moonfall. I was Moonfall, thinking yeah. about that earlier. I need that's to go and see Moonfall, Moonfall yeah. still. No, I, I mean. Uh, well, another 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 problem. This movie, another problem. Which starts to, I mean, okay. So let let's start with the positive, and there is some, not much, but not many, but there is some. I checked yesterday, and the budget of this two-parter, because the two-parter is hundred and sixty million dollars, apparently, or something like that. If if half of his budget went for the first part. I would say that visually, it's a beautiful movie. But that's actually, I think, what everyone would say about any Zack Snyder movie. That actually, visually, it's nice. But that's not enough. <laughs> that's the problem. That's not enough <laughs> in a movie. For the sake, it's not possible to, people don't understand that in 2023, but the visuals are not enough. Because... I mean, I was joking before we started, but actually I watched this thing, this trailer, without the... I watched the trailer on YouTube, but I didn't have the sound on, and it was a very beautiful trailer. Okay, but I didn't know the story. 
now I watch the movie, I know the story and it's BS because it's the ripoff of, I don't know, perhaps five or six IPs already existed. Uh, that's the first problem. The second problem is that apparently he hired people who don't know how to act, which is a problem as well. Uh, I'm sorry to say, but there is not one person in this movie who does a good performance. And that's saying something. I mean, I've been thinking about this. I, I watched the second because I watched it in two parts, two hours, but I couldn't watch it last night. So I watched the second hour this morning and I've been thinking about it all day. Is there someone in this movie who actually does a good performance? And I'm yes. sorry, but there's none of, no, none of them. There is one person who no, does. No, no, no. It's not a real person. He's a robot. So it doesn't count. It, <laughs> It's a voice, yes. Unfortunately, it is a voice acting role by Anthony Hopkins in it for 10 minutes and basically the best performance out in the entire two hours, 15 minutes. Amazingly enough. No, uh, it's, uh, it's sad. It, and it's, I, I mean, again, I can tell you from what I know, but then I checked online, I think that there are over IPs that have been taken ideas from. Star Wars, no kidding, he was actually trying to submit as a Star Wars movie because obviously it is a Star Wars movie, but you just change the name of the characters, you can change the publications, and you have almost a Star Wars movie. I thought about Chronicles of Riddick, I was saying that earlier, because I thought actually that it has some kind of elements in regards to the soldiers and the people conquering planets that look a lot like Chronicles of Riddick. Yes. That's not saying much, but yeah, Chronicles of Riddick was better than Ribbon Moon, by the way. Chronicles of Riddick was a good movie. Anyway. Um, there's even Harry Potter in this movie. There's a scene from Harry Potter. Harry Potter 3 is in this movie. I'm not joking. There's a scene with the the, the animal that they try to calm down. That's exactly like in Harry Potter. I was thinking, what the hell is going on? Uh, there's a scene from Star Wars Phantom Menace also. I mean, honestly, every scene you can joke about it. Oh, I've seen this before. Oh, I've seen this before. Uh, that's so sad. Um, and then, I don't know what is wrong with Zack Snyder with the slow motion. <laughs> Why does he need slow motion so much? I mean, I know that it's like his signature uh, shot or whatever, but that was, when was 300? More, almost 20 years ago. I mean, and since then, there's always slow motion. Always. And, and a lack of color. He likes yeah. to take out color. That's true. And I don't get it. I, I, I know, maybe once, I mean, it's fun, etc., but at, at some point, you, you, by doing so much slow motion, you kind of uh, lose interest on the outcome of a battle. Uh, because it looks like actually all the characters have the power of Neo in the Matrix. They all can do bullet time, you know? So <laughs> obviously, they're never going to be hurt. Um, yeah, I, I don't get any... And yeah, the last thing, my God, yeah, my God. yeah the last thing is uh, how this movie is written. So, by the way, Another problem that Zack Snyder has is apparently, but I check online, he's already saying that there's going to be a director's cut. Hmm. So that's that's another BS. You cannot hide from behind director's cut every time you do a bad movie. I mean, for Batman v Superman, I understand because we know that happened in his life. There was a tragedy in his family. Fair play. Okay, fair enough. All right. Uh, Justice League, sorry. Justice League, not Batman v Superman. Justice League it was. Fair enough. But in the case of Rebel Moon, he has all the time in the world. He has the money, he has the time. But saying that actually that there is a director's cut a week after the release, he's kind of admitting that actually he did a terrible job. And when you watch it, yes, he did a terrible job because the writing is awful. The writing is one of the worst of the year because 
all the characters that you are introduced in this movie, you know nothing about them. But apparently, at the last second, they are all standing on the platform, like you want to root for them and say, okay, these are my heroes, but I don't know nothing about these guys. Why would I care? And and I, I'm trying, and, and I'm going to end my rant about this, and you tell me if I'm wrong, Jason, but uh, the story of this movie <laughs> is that this girl who was a big deal in the empire, let's call it the empire, was on this planet kind of trying to restart a new life. One day there are imperial soldiers arriving. They try to rape someone. She defends this woman, fortunately. She kills all these soldiers. And it could end there. It could her life, her her exploit, uh, whatever she done, she done for this woman is good, fair enough. But why the next morning, suddenly she says, we're going to fight. We're going to fight what? She, for some reason, 24 hours before, she was ready to move in the mountains and live by herself. And in 24 hours, just because she saw imperial soldiers attacking a woman, she decides to start a rebellion at, on the scale of the whole galaxy against the Empire. I don't get it. And because I was thinking, did I miss an episode? And I'm pretty sure I missed an episode, and we're going to see that in the fucking director's cut. But yeah, I don't get it. It, but that's... it, it, it struck me. I mean, it's, it's as you say, the premise is he's trying to gain a, or hire some mercenaries to defend this uh, farmland, which he calls home now. Uh, it is the tipping point of a rebellion. It's like, they do the beginning part of the conversation. Let's try and convince these people to join the rebellion. They cut out all the necessary negotiations in the middle and go straight to the last sentence, as in, I'll join. Everything else is missing. It is so strange that every single character gets about 10 minutes of a beginning, yeah. middle, and end, and then you're on to the next one. It, it feels yeah. like a really badly written, and no... Um, justice to point and click games of maybe you know the 1980s you'd have pick up pick up the torch here go find a wizard hire yeah. the wizard the wizard said yes on to the next and it's that level of depth of yeah. of writing but then let's put it in a big glossy budget visually it looks very nice and amazing and it's maybe as you mentioned before it's best seen with the volume turned right down and taking the subtitles off, just in case you accidentally <laughs> read any of the plot yeah, or, or dialogue. Um, it is a strange waste of money, and it's a disappointing as well on that level. He's a great visualist, but maybe the writing of it should be given to someone else, or should it be, really? Um, so there is a part in April, of course, coming our way. Um, will you be watching that, Richard? Can you wait? <laughs> well, just so I can do a second rant, uh, I can rant again. Yes, I will watch it again. Yeah, I will watch the second part. Sorry, I yeah. think, out of sheer curiosity, I think I will be glued to my seat just to see why. <laughs> well, um, just a couple of quick mentions, I think, because we are in the again back in outer space. Uh, you did see sixty-five, which was now no, give away the. I haven't. I give away. No, I, no. I in the end I haven't because you spoiled it to me. So unfortunately, oh, I, I didn't watch it in the end. I'm so sorry. I don't um, want another twist. I haven't watched it. 
then then maybe give that a wide berth. But um, again, another big sci-fi movie, Adam Driver, a strange plot, a very obvious plot, but uh, again, quite, quite, I'm surprised um, how they get the go-ahead with this. Anyway. Well, I, I was looking at this and I think, I know I didn't realise there's two directors, which is never a good sign, unless they're brothers or something, you know, you've got the two <laughs> guys, like like everything everywhere all at once, or the Russo brothers, fair enough, but like when it's two random people and you think there's someone been brought in to finish this off, I remember sort of defending this in the run-up, going, oh, it might be all right, it might be all right, it looks okay, it could be cool, it's got a 90-minute runtime, and then I realised that it probably didn't have a 90-minute runtime, and they decided they had to release it in some form, because unless you're Warner Brothers and you can write everything off for tax purposes, you know, that you're <laughs> going to release the, the film and try and get some money back, maybe they should have written this one off for tax purposes, to be honest. Um, but actually, maybe with this and my other low light of the year, it's difficult to rant about, because I just remember feeling so bored. Mm. And like to find something good to say about it, Adam Driver is... I think he's is doing his best with with this not very exciting material. So the the plot is sort of two people fall to Earth um, on a spaceship sixty five million years ago, no. and I felt like sixty five million years ago I went to the cinema to watch this film and it, ne it was never going to end. And just nothing for a film with dinosaurs, nothing happens. And <laughs> at the point when you remember when you're thinking to yourself, Jurassic World Dominion wasn't that bad compared to this then you know it's, ter it's terrible like at least at least that was bonkers whereas this is really boring like nothing really happens and it's yeah i i and, and i remember saying as well that i thought there was a good cgi i thought the dinosaurs looked really good in the final shot they do and that final shot is in the trailer and at other times they don't look particularly convincing but I, it just felt too slow paced for a blockbuster to 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 sort of have any any interest and also i don't like those films when there's too many characters i think you know films where there's a small set of characters to focus on work really well but here there's literally two people and i'm not really interested in what happens to them so and i keep calling it 65 starring adam driver because if i just say 65 people just think i'm saying a random number people have forgotten this movie already it's it not is, great it's not no. the, and it's still not the worst film that i saw this year or my least favorite film that i saw no. this year okay. but it's pretty much it well uh, okay. i will ask you that very soon uh, i'll just have to <laughs> i will mention a very quick which is probably a low light unfortunately another monster movie but was a sequel to a much loved one, and I was looking forward to this one. And this was the Mega Two with Jason Stratham. Mm -hmm. um, did anyone see this? Uh, did, I've Mega. seen it, but I don't want to talk about it. So no, we won't. We won't. It's not. It's not The only thing that I'm gonna so. say about the Mega Two is that it has been colonized by the Fast X family <laughs> kind of dynamic thing so it's now a family of people that that are happily fighting for i don't know like sea life preservation yes yes i think i see where you're going it is actually let's segue this up a bit as well so they um they're mining i think the 
the big um the the big trench i think it's the deepest trench in the ocean the ariana trench or something like that and, and there are mining crate and this is releases all these big megs and also octopi um yeah so it's like one of those things like jurassic park where suddenly this is like a, a family or fast i mean fast text i see the family kind of dynamic and from the jurassic park the new jurassic park movies i see that there's some kind of like oh you have to fight because these creatures they need to be preserved but these creatures are eating you they want to eat you and kill you well for a minute i thought i was watching the sequel to the abyss uh, yes and I wanted I to know, kill myself. And it was like, ah, I can see not only one franchise will I be crossing over, I'll be doing two at the same time. It is um, as much, I did like the first Meg. It was had a bit of fun, chung and cheek fun, and it was right side of uh, peril in a B-movie. This one just, uh, I want, uh, pardon the pun, but this kind of jumped the shark almost on, on it, I, I think. It actually was, gets... Strangely enough, it gets a bit too ridiculous for its own good. Um, but anyway, yeah. but if you if you're going to see paying money to see Jason Stratton and it's called May Meg Two, you get what you deserve, quite honestly. And, it it uh, ate the shark. <laughs> yes, he takes on two. Anyway, I'm not going to spoil it, but I think um, hmm, uh, yes. Anyway, uh, a bit of a low light, unfortunately, just just on the side of low lightness, I think. Right. Um, well, I. Did say there was well actually let's go there is one more low light I think I think James has in the bag if you want to mention it now I think it will be now yeah uh, what is so, that low light of the year so Five Nights at Freddy's which again actually my level of rantiness is going to go down as I get through these because it's just like I I can't be bothered now it this is a video game I believe I'm not even 100 percent sure if it's it's a board game or a video game. So this this is kind of different then from Super Mario because I know Super Mario. I know that as a game. And so I was frustrated with the film. I don't know anything about Five Nights at Freddy's, but I still went to watch it. I thought it's Blumhouse. Might be all right. It looked like it might be quick. It might look like it, ha- it looked like it might have the same kind of vibe as something like Megan, which I did really enjoy, which was kind of like more of a satire, I think. But it's a very sort of fun film, and I thought it might be quirky. Um when I was looking at the plot for this film, if you just take this as a plot, not knowing anything about the game, the plot of this film is a guy becomes a nighttime security guard at an abandoned pizza restaurant. Let me say that again. A guy becomes a security guard at an abandoned... <laughs> Why do you need a security guard at an abandoned pizza restaurant? Like, at a... the rantiness is coming back, right? If, if you were at a a bank or somewhere that had a lot of money or something. Why? If someone offered me a job and they said it's a million pounds, do you want to be a security guard at an abandoned pizza restaurant? You go, what are you talking about? It makes no sense. Now, if this film was actually then scary or quirky when you went into it, and I apologise if it's your favourite film of the year, I'm probably Hmm. wrong. Um, Like, it's got a PG-13 certificate, so it's one of these films where they, they want it to be a horror film but they also want kids to come to it. So immediately it's compromised. The actor from The Hunger Games, again, is trying to to do a really good job with this terrible script that doesn't make any sense. And it isn't quirky. It isn't scary. And to be honest, the fact that I had to look up the plot just tells me that I wasn't really paying attention to it. It's also the worst behaved audience I've I've sat with post-COVID. And there was a point where I wanted to tell people to shut up, and then I realised... 
I really don't care. I don't want to get a fist in the face for this terrible film. And I should have just gone at that point. But I thought, I'm just going to sort of sit here and I probably thought about other stuff. It was very dull. I know people that were fans after I come out and said that that was horrible. People that were fans going, I'm really looking forward to that. And I felt really mean-spirited. But I've got to say, the reaction I think I've seen from people that have gone to see it have gone, yeah, that doesn't really work on any level. It's in the top 20 highest-grossing movies of the year. So expect Five Nights at Freddy's 2 to come in 2025. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to be going to watch it unless they give it an R rating and, and revive it. Because... It just was not, it sort of was nothing. It just had nothing of interest to me. It um, was a money play that capitalizing on, on the gamers, of the, of the generation that had enjoyed the game. And it worked for, for that. It was very profitable. Yeah. Um, and if people enjoyed it, good for them. And maybe I'm missing something because I don't know the game. If, if you enjoy the game and you enjoyed the film, fair play. But I can say, unlike Mario, where I kind of wanted something from it that it wasn't. And I, I do think it's that's not great movie i know it's all subjective and stuff but but with this i felt this does not work if you're not a fan of this it doesn't work on any level you know sometimes people say oh i wanted it to be true to the source material and the decisions are to make it a better film and to make it cross from one medium to another because not everything can only work in across all different mediums you know books films tv comics video games but in the case of this i just thought no Fair enough then. Right. Well, um, I did mention there were big, well, three big monster features that we did mention a bit, lowlights, highlights here and there. Well, two lowlights, I think, but this one is definitely a highlight uh, and definitely of the year and came just this month, actually, December. And that was uh, Godzilla Minus One by Toho Studios. Um, again, Huge word of mouth came across about this one. Um, did we need another Godzilla movie? Probably, I wouldn't say no. Well, we're fine. But this one went back and rewrote the uh, the books on this because this, oh, it's, I would almost say a counterpoint to Oppenheimer, strangely enough. Um, this is a huge World War II, well, post-World War II almost uh, story setting. And almost a remake of the original Godzilla 1956 film that started it. Uh, James, you saw this. Um, I think in agreement. I think definitely a highlight of the year, this one. Oh, de definitely. And I, I've seen in the Oscar shortlist that this is um, is in the running for the, the sort of effects of Oscar, which I think in a year when we've seen some really, I mean, the last couple of years, really, some really shoddy, effects work which is often to do with with studios kind of changing their mind last minute and things being rushed and trying to undercut effects artists this one's got some really good effects cost under 15 million to do um a really involving human story um and like i said before i was really taken by how the film isn't afraid to make the quiet human moments very quiet and intimate and then go fully bombastic with the action and also the 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 consequences of the action, what you see after the Godzilla attacks each time, you really feel the human impact on the people and the city and the devastation it's caused really kind of hits home, like the tragedy of it. Um, I did say, so I was very tired when I saw this originally. 
and I, I shouldn't have gone to to watch it, but even though I was tired, I could I I really enjoyed it. And I went back to watch it again. And I loved it even more. I think when we reviewed it, I sort of said, "Oh, you know, the the main character in it is a pilot back from World War One, um, World War Two, sorry." Mm-hmm. And um, I, I mentioned his girlfriend. And um, obviously, when I watched it again, it's like he, it's not his girlfriend. The, the the sort of love interest, for want of a better word, it, it's one of those films where it manages to be about family without saying it every five minutes. Not looking at any Vin Diesel franchises. But it kind of it completely manages to be about, you know, there's there's this female character who has taken a child sort of in, even though she hasn't got anywhere to go. So that's not the right phrase. But she she's looking after this child because this child has been um, orphaned during the, the World War II attacks. And he then sort of takes in this woman and her not, not daughter and looks after them. And actually, it... it there isn't really anything that says that they are or aren't a couple. That's not important. You know, it, it, it's kind of, but there's still a togetherness about those three characters that, that kind of gives you the, the element of, of really caring. Um, and yeah, I just, like you said, nobody thought we needed, needed this particularly. Um, and I was really surprised that it's one of the best films I've, I've seen this year. I would, it looks amazing on a big screen. It really has that spectacle level and i think some of the maybe fatigue with big ip franchises is we've seen a lot of this stuff now whereas years ago i'm very old right so i remember things like jurassic park it was the first time we'd see dinosaurs on the big screen and independence day they were blowing up the the white house and that spectacle was enough to almost carry the movie even if it wasn't a great movie in the case of something like independence day um but this you've got a really good story and really good visuals that demand to be seen i mean it'll be great if you can see it on a home screen because i know it's not it's not easy to to find showings of i think the showings have been slightly extended in the uk because the reception has been quite good to it but i think richard you said they there was only a few showings and then it's disappeared so if you can watch it on on home screen do you'll love it but it's really great to watch it on a massive screen as well apparently Um, one of the highlights of the year Apparently, that yeah, definitely. Um, apparently, there will be re-releases as a, in the black and white version. Strangely enough, um, so yeah. then they extending some more Showtime runs. Um, it is um, again. I think the special effects were not even why it just made it as one of the best films of the year. It was for a monster movie. Strangely enough, it is because it's when you're actually concentrating on the human tragedy and loss, and actually it's talking about bigger themes as the original ones were, uh, original movie was, but it is um, a stunning piece of... uh... There's something about the framing as well, because there was a trailer before, I wasn't going to mention this, but there's a trailer for Godzilla, Kong, New Empire or something, that one that's Mm. coming out, which is a a sequel to Godzilla, Kong. And we we don't know what this is going to be like, but there's a scene in that where Godzilla and Kong are chasing each other in the trailer. And the framing, you don't really know how big these characters are because there's nothing else in the frame whereas here that you always see godzilla and something human to give it that sense of scale and that attention to detail and how you're going to use your effects i think really helps because you it is like you're watching this slow human drama and then godzilla will turn up every not even that often maybe every 20 minutes 25 minutes and then when the character does it godzilla does turn up it's huge. It's like Godzilla's really t- turned up in your life. Yeah. 
So it, it's also it kind be- of works slowing it down, doesn't it? it? It's also because, I mean, Godzilla minus one is for an adult audience much more than the, the, the Godzillas that are Hollywood cells that are for essentially teenagers that like to see these battles like Godzilla versus Kong. And that's where you lose the perspective because it's like these two main monsters and the monster universe and everything's monster. <laughs> and here it's about uh, characters that are have human characters, real human characters that have um, re- real human pain. And on top of that, they have to deal with this monster, <laughs> which is, uh, yeah. yeah, you say the human element is very much present, while the others are just like humans that are scientific people that are with the, with the military trying to study this monster that in the end goes to battle more monsters. I don't know. Um, okay, well, there is one more film I think I'll we'll discuss and then go around. My highlights and lowlights, quick round. Um, we think it was inescapable. It's a big uh, title, which I think most of you saw, which was Killers of the Flower Moon, which is Martin Scorsese teaming up again uh, with Robert De Niro and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, you all saw this. Highlight, definitely, or was it overhyped or underhyped? I don't know. I don't know where to put him, to be honest. Hi, highlight, and uh, I was I overhyped it myself, and was a little, 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 little bit of an underwhelmed, but not too much. I mean, it was it was a good, good film. I just, I just was missing a little bit of the perspective of the Indians. I I just saw them as these um, very innocent people that were taking advantage of, and it. I would have preferred a movie more center on the point of view of the of the of the native people. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, my, my my problem was the length of the movie, but uh, Alfonso's point is a great point, to be honest. Um, but yeah, me just yeah, talk about the length sometimes. Talking about Oppenheimer earlier, and uh, well, I guess it depends on the people who watch the movie. I mean, the audience, everybody's different. Some people actually didn't mind a three-hour-and-a-half movie by Scorsese. I did mind sometimes, to be honest. It doesn't take anything from the movie. I thought that... Yeah. I but you it know, it's, I, I, the, the, it's about the beginning of the FBI. Well, the FBI comes a little bit late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very late, actually. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, they, this is the thing, isn't it? So the book, that is what it's based on, but the film has sort of taken, although that started as the source material, it's kind of moved away for, from being about that to being more about murders. Um, I mean, I really like this film, and I didn't expect it to be, like, in my top ten of the year, but it, it, it is, and I actually went to see it twice, and I can't believe that I went to see a film that's three hours and 20, 20 minutes twice. Um, and I'm not, like... A big, like the biggest Scorsese fan, I really like Wolf of Wall Street. Didn't really watch The Irishman. Maybe I wasn't paying attention. Everyone else seemed to love it, but I wasn't a massive fan of it. Um, but I did find something about this just really engaging. I think that the the period detail is is amazing. Um, it does really feel like you're transported back uh, 
100 years. Oppenheimer felt like I was transported back to World War II. I've got to say, Napoleon did not make me feel like I'd done that. So it's not given that that, that detail always works. I think Lily Gladstone is is fantastic in the yeah. film. Um, yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio is on screen probably most of the time, really, in this. So it's very much about him. And I I did have that reaction as well, This that maybe this should have been more about the Osage people and that that was underrepresented. I'm re- I'm still really conflicted about that though because I think we d- and we did discuss this in the chat. I think the the phrase Alfonso said has done a, a sort of a service and a disservice, and it's kind of like and I think I said it's flawed allyship. I don't know though because with Scorsese and his fan base, that this story seems to be a story that wasn't really very well known. Obviously, people in the Osage community knew it, but it it doesn't feel like it's a very well-known story and he's managed to shine, shine a light on it. I yeah. think now there is a very good chance and I I'm really want to see this film made, but a film more about the Osage people with an Osage director, a uh, director and Osage cast and that sort of film. But this, that would be a different story. That would be a story that abruptly comes to an end without giving too much away, but it is a historical story, that it will be about people living this life and then it comes to a sort of end. And this film is very much about shining a light on these people, not not a light in a good way, but sort of highlighting this atrocity that these people did, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Robert De Niro's character, that was kind of buried. So the, the whole point of the, the final sequence, which seems really odd when you first watch it, I'm not going to ruin it, but my understanding is that's one of the few places where that was, you know, it, it was sort of reported in very small detail in in the press at the time, but it wasn't considered a big story. And there, there was a sort of radio broadcast at the end, which is is recreated. And the reason for that is that's one of the few places it's it shown up in sort of historic record. Um, so I think sort of using his platform, because Scorsese, let's face it, could have just made another film about gangsters. Because that's that's definitely what he'll do. But apparently, this is what he wanted to do after Wolf of Wall Street, um, but couldn't get the funding. And he, he's then done the Irishman and got and got the funding to come and do this. Um, but I did. I think that's and like I said before, I think it's okay to have films that are. I think because we've lived through an era of, of superhero films and things like that, and a lot of films are about the hero's journey and stuff, and that's fine. And people see cinema as very aspirational. But it's okay to have films that are about unlikable characters. And I think this plays out like a sort of like a Shakespearean tragedy almost, that the, the the crimes and the things that are perpetrated also come back on the person who's perpetrated them. Like like Leonardo DiCaprio's character, 20 minutes into this film, has everything. He has everything. Money, a beautiful wife, family, and it isn't enough. And he goes and destroys it. And you're kind of like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Um, and yeah, I, I I thought it's it's sort of a weirdly hypnotic film. Um, I think there's talk of like one of the Osage songs being up for an Oscar and things. And uh, cinematography is wonderful. I'll stop talking about it now because you're all at board. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really I really liked it and I did I didn't feel it was long and this is this is I I kind of come out of it both times going, that's weird that that went so quickly because I feel numb. Like like my my 
you know, my legs feel numb. I've definitely been sat here a long time. I haven't gone to the loo. But it's, I was completely involved and engaged in this world for three hours and 20 minutes. And I, I, I think it's kind of remarkable that someone who's 80 years old can turn out a film like this. I mean, maybe it shouldn't be because they've got the experience, right? And another of my favourite films of the year was done by an 80-year-old person as well. Um, but I, I thought it was was really good. Um, De, Niro, De Niro is really good in it as well. I haven't really mentioned him, but he's he's sort of more of a supporting role, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. but a big supporting and role. Big, big supporting role. Movie. And also a, a different level of evil that he, he, like, he seems a lot more calculated. And De Niro, um, sort of DiCaprio's character sort of seems pathetic and weak is that a f- fair sort of summary of him yeah, like he feels like totally. he's being he can't stand up to his uncle and it's pathetic you know really when you look at it um, I mean he but they, yeah it, it, it's that that's the only remember the only I mean that's a refreshing kind of thing from the movie that DiCaprio uh, accepts to play this character basically although I mean the thing is, when you watch Wolf of Wall Street, it, it, which has sort of got a bit of the, the succession thing about it, I think, in terms of they seem on the the face of it to be successful people living a lifestyle, you know, that, that's quite glamorous. But they are very, very unhappy people. And I mean, there's no, I don't think maybe Hugo aside, um, there's no, I don't think there's any of Scorsese's films where I look at the protagonist and think, I would really like to spend some time with this guy. I mean, like Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver, you would cross the street not to be breathing the same air as him. Yeah, that's something that Scorsese does. And and I think that's the thing with Scorsese is a lot of his films, you're not meant to like the protagonist. I think sometimes in like a Tarantino film, Tarantino thinks that the, the, the gangsters in his films are cool and they are kind of cool you know the way that they talk and interact but squirrel says he's got this thing where he, he does want to make you feel uncomfortable and there's probably some value in that in you know it's it's easy to just go oh evil people they're other people but i think the, the everyone portraying this feels very real and it, yeah I, I liked it thanks james would you like to reach our film and tv review podcast audience Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today. All right. Well, that's definitely one of your highlights of the year. And I think that's wraps it up for our highlights and lowlights of 2023. I think I'll end from just, just from the quick mention, the ones that you didn't get in, just a quick mention by title and that you'd want to recommend to our audience if you have any. I'll start off. I do have one I thought I'd mention, and that was the uh, Netflix animated i think french japanese or french american and uh, animated drama uh, which was blue eyed samurai um this is a uh, an animation kind of a vengeance tale set in edo japan uh, the 17th century uh, kind of a mixed race japanese swords master uh, female swords master uh, seeks vengeance against um those who may have fathered her 
Um, greatly, fantastically animated, so well written. Uh, I know we mentioned before, really badly written female protagonists. Uh, we're looking at you, Rebel Moon, but this is probably a lesson in how you do things and it is um, captivating. So definitely worth a catch. I think it came out in November, so definitely well uh, worth a watch. Um, James, you have a quick, anyone you want to recommend before we sign off? I'll do um, a couple of TV ones and then a film one, and I'll leave a gap so you can edit out if you don't want to say. But um, so the woman in the wall, which I think has gone below some people's radars, it was in a sort of prime time BBC TV slot, and it's on Paramount Plus as well. So it's set uh, present day or a couple of years ago, set in the shadow of the Magdalene Laudries, which were sort of institutions in Ireland for what they called fallen women. And a woman played by Ruth Wilson from Luther um, has a long history of trauma-based sleepwalking. She uh, wakes up to find a dead body in her house, panics and hides it, conceals it in in the wall in her house. Um, In the meantime, um, a policeman played by Daryl McCormack, who was in Good Luck Leo Grand with uh, Emma Thompson last year. Um, He plays a detective investigating the murder of a priest and it's not long before their paths cross um i think this is a really good like mystery tv show i think it's six episodes maybe five or six episodes it's got a twist at the end of episode three which i just thought that is genius that is a genius twist um it's got amazing cinematography for a bbc tv show um it's very funny in places i think a lot of people were maybe put off by the subject matter that the Magdalene, Magdalene laundries were these things in in Ireland, which were sort of still active in my lifetime. There's a line where someone says this is years ago, and someone says it wasn't years ago. Macarena was still in the charts, and that's a real good <laughs> line that sort of gives you the the sense of although this deals with very dark subject matter, there's this sort of real comedy element going through it as well. Um, Ardo Hanlon. The actor from Father Ted appears playing a nasty person in this this uh, sort of drama, which I've never seen him play before, very against type. Um, and it ends with an unexpected and poignant song, is what I'll say, which which took me by surprise. Um, but it, it's a very good, it's one of the best things I've seen this year. It probably ties with Dead Ringers on Prime. Um, this is a remake of the 1988 David Cronenberg um, horror film. I say remake. The thing with a remake is, particularly if you're remaking an, someone who's an auteur, you can't out-Cronenberg, David Cronenberg. So you've got to kind of just do your own thing. And this is done much more from a realistic, for want of a better word, perspective. Um, so Rachel Wise stars as both Beverly and Elliot, the Mantle twins, twin gynecologists. Um who are planning to establish their own independent birthing centre. And they persuade a rich philanthropist played by Jennifer L to fund their centre. Elliot in particular is a complete sociopath. Beverly is a little bit dull and engages in a relationship with an actress, which Elliot is kind of trying to sabotage. And you completely forget that it's one actress playing both roles. The editing is fantastic with it. But it's in her performance as well that you don't really, by the end of it, need to, even like halfway through episode one, even if they're on their own, you know which character she's playing just from her mannerisms. Um, so it's very dark, but it's it's definitely worth a watch on 
on Prime. Um, and then my favourite film of the year, nobody's going to watch this, but it is my favourite film of the year, and it's the eight, the other 80-year-old director. So EO, which is a Polish road movie by Jerzy Skalomowski, um, and it was released over here in February. It tells a story of EO, a donkey from a circus who's in a double act with this girl, and he's got a special bond with her. Uh, the, the circus is then closed down and he embarks on a journey where he's moving around from place to place um, and the different things that life throws at him in different situations. So it's a really, I think I really love this because I often watch films and I go, I've seen that before. I've seen that style of storytelling before. And this is just didn't really remind me of anything else I'd seen before. It's a very unusual way of storytelling. And the director said that he was looking to try and do that. So EO's path crosses with humans and you then you get a little subplot of those humans and then it goes on something else. And I think it just kind of shows... I mean, it's got wonderful cinematography and stuff. It's really trippy in places. Um, but I think it kind of sort of says that life is half chance. You know, a lot of the things that, that happen to us in life are chance. There's a lot of opportunity we make to ourselves. But um, And I've heard people say they think this is a really depressing movie. I think it's a really uplifting movie because it's sort of about innocence, really. Um, uh, and that's not to say that there's not darkness in it. It goes into some of the territories of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, is all I shall say. But um, I, I really like that. It's called EO. And it's mm -hmm. Probably on BFI player. Thanks, James. Alfonso, uh, you have some uh, quick mentions. I, like to I just wanted to, yeah, quickly mention, for example, Missing, which was the sequel to Searching. And I think it is a superior movie. And I think it um, has good twists and turns. And I like the resolution. So if you like a mystery with someone that it's missing and and a girl that is trying to locate that person through the in her room with the screens and everything uh, searching it. It's a good. I, I I recommend that one. Also, leave the world behind, which is recent with Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke and Mahershala Ali. Uh, I think that was the the best Shyamalan non Shyamalan Shyamalan movie of the of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Better than No No uh, on the Cabin. Uh, at the cabin, uh, which was not, uh, I mean, I didn't like it that much, but Leave the World Behind has that kind of suspense of you don't know what's going on, you know which characters you can trust, and it it held my attention all the way through, and I think it had a good resolution as well. Agreed. And and in uh, on the TV side. I would recommend uh, the fall of the House of Usher, which was this um, mini series uh, on Netflix around Halloween, and I thought that it was it it looked really nice on screen. It had very good production values. It was based on many Allan Poe's tales, uh, adapting them to the to the. Uh, today world with the Sackler family and the Oxycontin kind of thing uh, droning. It's, it's about that family and, and the curse that they have. And um, well, it, it's if you like that kind of a little bit of horror, a little bit of suspense, 
and uh, a good story and a mini series, I would recommend that as well. Thanks, thanks, Alfonso. And Richard, your yeah, all right, or so special mentions for 2024? Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of uh, something I mentioned, uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, uh, surprisingly, I know because this franchise we all thought was dead, uh, at least on the big screen. I was the first one to believe it was, and uh, that was a nice surprise. I think it was back in February or March it was released. Um, yeah, honestly, yeah. Um, it was uh, good entertainment. And uh, what I mean is that uh, I think a couple of big studios should learn should learn from this movie because it showed what people want, literally, I think, uh, which is just a fun ride uh, with funny characters. And if you want to do a blockbuster, that's what you want, I think. And uh, that's what we got. Um, I think the whole uh, cast, at least the main characters, yeah, was uh, was funny but also likable. Uh, even Michel Rodriguez, who uh, uh, was known more until then for uh, badass girls in like well the Fast and Furious franchise, but also other movies, Resident Evil franchise, etc. So, kind of actually. Uh, Although she is a strong character, she is showing a different uh, side of her personality in this movie, and I thought it was really nice. Uh, I almost cried at the end of the movie, surprisingly, and because it was so well done, and because I really cared about the characters, I really was involved in their uh, fate. So yeah, I recommend the Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, very different from the Jeremy Irons one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, I thought about something else uh, I wanted to mention before the end. Uh, God damn it. Um, as a low light, but I know we mentioned a lot of low lights, but just something that we forgot to mention. But And that's actually surpri not surprising because everybody forgets about the Star Wars movies and TV shows. So this year we had Ahsoka. Which is, uh, which was a very bad TV show that has a lot of potential when it was announced a few years ago. Uh, and, uh, it was another huge disappointment. And the future of Star Wars in 2024 and 2025, etc., is definitely, uh, in, uh, trouble, in danger. And, uh, actually, I hope that, uh, it will remain, uh, buried and uh, that we will never see any star wars thing on disney plus ever again so that's merry christmas <laughs> merry christmas everyone yeah well thank you for that yes a bit of a, blind, a complete blind spot on that was a <laughs> oh no sorry yeah but uh, i'm not going to talk much because i think james is going to see doesn't see didn't see it yet or i don't know how it is but no, the boy the boy in the heron from by by uh, ayamazaki was a masterpiece and I hope he's going to get an Oscar. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that. Okay. Boy in the Heron. Um, that is one of the yeah late highlights there. But thanks, everyone. Yeah, I think we've covered up, uh, covered uh, a lot of the lowlights and highlights for 2023. Hope you enjoyed it at home. And we'll see you in 2024. 
But thank you for joining me and we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this film and TVReview.com episode. Catch the latest film and TV reviews together with regular episode content from the world of film and TV every week. See you soon. Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today.